we've known you as a father. Oh, that we would know you as a friend. Father, we do not need just another gathering, another service. We don't just need another sermon. Father, we need your spirit here among us, poured out over us. Father, would these words be your words for your people, for your church, for the expansion of your kingdom, for your glory and honor. Father, would you, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give me the ability to preach my heart out? This is your heart, that you love us, that you call us friends, that you saved us, that you rescued us. Give me the boldness to preach that through your word today, Father. Open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears to what you have to teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Wow, can we give a hand for the worship band this morning? That was powerful. That was, I feel ill-equipped to come up here and follow that. Um, well, good morning, Trinity. Let me be another voice to welcome you, uh, whether in person or online. Good morning, Alden. You better be watching. Uh, my name is Dave. That's my daughter, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the, uh, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. So again, welcome uh, this morning to service. We're, we're moving through our sermon series that we kicked the year off with, which is called Getting Back to the Why. And so in a sense, we're getting back to the basics of the motivation for church, for our existence, for our work, for our families. And today, we're going to get back to the why of our friendships. Now, if you're tempted to think that this is a throw-in topic to kind of round out the sermon series until we get to Lent, you might be surprised at the depth of this topic. I certainly wasn't. Last week, Pastor Kirk said, listen, every single one of these topics and themes that we preached on could be their own series in and of themselves. And so I promise to you today, I will not be able to do this full justice. I need to, I need to be focused. This could be preached over a course of probably three or four weeks. But this is an incredibly timely and relevant topic for the times we're living in today and the culture that we're living in, and God's word speaks directly to it. Now, it could be said that the world is more connected than ever before. That is probably easy to see. We have a 24-hour news cycle that travels faster than the stroke of a keyboard. You can post something today on social media that within seconds will reach Australia. You might have hundreds, you might have even thousands of followers on social media and online. Yes, we can connect two people in an instant, but studies show that connecting with people is at an all-time low. One of the surveys that I studied in preparation for this sermon was a study put out by um, Brigham Young that found that nearly half of surveyed Americans reported feeling lonely or left out with young adults ages 18 to 22 feeling the loneliness, the loneliest of all. There is quite literally, and I'm not kidding when I use this verbiage, an epidemic of loneliness. 
further in doing my research, I discovered that the loneliness epidemic is so real in Great Britain that Theresa May, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, appointed a cabinet member called the Minister of Loneliness to solve this problem. Now, it seems odd that they only appointed one person to this cabinet post, but that's, <laughs> that's besides the point. Fact, we are more connected than ever before. Fact, we're more lonely than ever before. Which suggests to me that in seeking true connection, we've confused the quantity of friends with the quality of those friendships. We've substituted deep, meaningful relationships with mere affiliation. And what might be more sinister still is that some of the friendships we do have revolve more around consumption than connection. Tell me, what is the more likely headline on those magazines stationed right by the checkout at the grocery store? Brad Pitt is now best friends with so-and-so, or Brad Pitt is now sleeping with so-and-so? We've prioritized physical connection and those desires of the flesh well above the emotional and spiritual and intellectual connections we were meant for. And here's the other thing about those studies that I was reading that were all done before this pandemic. There is a relational presence and depth that is missing. It is absent from our culture, whether by choice, whether by substitution, or this pandemic. It is real and it is deadly. And we were literally designed for so much more than that. So much more than online likes and followers, which is a mile wide but an inch deep. So much more than the counterfeit version of relational intimacy found only in the physical. And so much more than the social isolation that so many in our community feel right now. So what I want to do today is I want to dig into God's word. And I want to, we're going to be in John chapter 15, and I want us to see three things. I want us to see the biblical origin of friendship, the biblical definition of friendship, and the biblical standard of friendship. Before we do that, will you join me one more time in prayer? Father, thank you for the time that you gave to me this week to prepare this message. I do believe that these are your words because they are grounded in your word. So Father, would you illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts. Do not just give us more information, but do a work of transformation. That we would see the friendship offered by Jesus Christ and we would accept it and receive it and out of that live as the type of friends this world so desperately needs. Be with us in our time this morning. In Jesus' name I beg you. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible with you or you have it on your phone, open it up and turn or scroll to John chapter 15. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. We're going to read through verse 17. Now, almost half the gospel of John is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life, with much of it devoted to the last days of his life. Where we pick it up here in John chapter 15, they have already had the Last Supper. Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. And Jesus is literally marching to the cross and he shares this with his disciples. Verse 9. 
as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. <laughs> you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. Now why start with the origin of friendship? Well, what hit me this week was that in a highly individualistic society like we have, our temptation is to not only define friendship any way we see fit, but to actually determine its necessity. It's one thing to want deep relationships and deep friendships and not have them. That's what we call loneliness. But to not want them in the first place, to not pursue them actively, cuts across the way we were designed and it foregoes the blessing contained therein. Let me show you. You've likely heard from this stage before that the grand narrative of the 66 books of the Bible can be summarized as following. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is the theme, the narrative of the Bible. And you would think that the first problem came during the fall. But that's not exactly correct. When God created the universe, everything was good. When God created man, he said it was very good. But even though God's creation was very good, it was not yet complete. For in Genesis 2.18, God says that it is not good for man to be alone. For man to be separate. See, the first problem was not idolatry, it was isolation. We were created in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26. And what is one part of God's very character? He is relational. And look at what Jesus says in verse 9 of John chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. This is staggering. Jesus is saying, before time existed, friendship existed in the perfect love and perfect fellowship of the Trinity. In other words, loneliness never existed until Genesis 2.18. It was not part of God's nature. It's never been part of God's nature. And as image bearers of God, it was never intended to be part of our existence. Biblical friendship is not ours to define, nor is, up to, nor is the need for it up to us to determine. Both flow 
from the very nature and character of God. We are relational beings created by a relational God, made to be in relationship with him vertically and others horizontally. And it's through those relationships that we're able to experience the highest emotion possible, love. But there's one challenge to that. And I'm very thankful for Pastor Kirk and you talking through this with me because it sort of unlocked this truism of friendship, both with God and both with others. You cannot be fully loved until and unless you are fully known. Think about it. If somebody falls in love with you, but you only let them into 90% of your life, they don't actually love you, they love some other version of you. And even though that person says they love you, or even if you have a dear, dear friend, if you have not let them into your life to be fully known, you can be in that relationship and feel totally lonely. When God created Adam's equal counterpart in Eve later on in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden with God. Perfect love, perfect fellowship, perfect friendship. They had an intimate relationship with God vertically and one another horizontally. Then we get to Genesis chapter 3. The temptation of Eve, the sin of both. And when you sin, you do not just break God's law, but you break the relationship. So now they've broken God's law. They've broken the relationship and they broke the world. And what are the first two things they do immediately after they sin? They hide from each other by sowing fig leaves and they hide from God. And we've been hiding from one another and we've been hiding from God ever since. Never more connected, never more alone. See, I can't let my friends know this about me or else they'll reject me. And so we push people away or form superficial acquaintances in person or online where people can only see the facade we want them to see, but never the interior. Well, see, if God really knew what a mess up I am, then he would never love me. And so fearing that rejection, we reject God or we create God in our image and our likeness and worship that. And both of those are a lie from the pit of hell itself. And they distort the beauty and the blessing of biblical friendships. But this is where the gospel, this is where the good news of Jesus Christ defines our friendship and stands in stark contrast to our culture around us. A few years ago, back in 350 BC, a moderately intelligent thinker by the name of Aristotle penned a treaty on ethics, Nicomachean ethics for those keeping score at home. It is a massive volume of writing and it was deeply culturally influential then and remains now, and you'll see why. In that book, he reasoned there are three types of friendships. Now, don't just hear these. 
Listen to these and think about the culture around us. Think about the friendships in your life. Friendship number one, he reasoned, was friendships of utility, which revolve around the other person being useful to you. Friendship number two, friendship of pleasure, which means you both have similar interests which bring you pleasure. Now, this could be physical intimacy, or this could be going for a hike. The third is friendships of the good, which he deemed almost impossible to achieve because they are centered on people having the same values and morals and goals. Here's the deal. When you have a secular culture that believes the highest value is not love, but affirmation, friendships of the good become unnecessary and is therefore rejected in favor of a combination of friendships of utility and friendships of pleasure to the point where we are friends with people to the extent they bring us pleasure. When you believe that the highest value is affirmation, not love, you will reject friendship of the good and you will pursue friendships of utility and friendships of pleasure by being friends with people to the extent they make you happy. As soon as things get tough, as soon as I'm not affirmed, as soon as we disagree, as soon as you do not fulfill what I need, I'm out. What was meant to be a covenant relationship with God and others has now been made contractual. Contracts are transactional. They are an exchange of promises with your desire at the center of them. But covenants are relational. They are an exchange of persons with Jesus Christ at the center of them. Fully known, fully loved. Now in this passage we read from John, keep in mind Jesus is speaking to his best friends. There's no one else in his life. This is it. And notice how he defines friendship. This friendship he defines is not seeking superficial affirmation, but deep joy and love. Verse 9 and 11. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. And I've told you these things so that your joy may be full. How have the Father and Son loved each other? Forever and without limits. This friendship he speaks of is not characterized by transaction. Verse 15, I do not call you servant. You're not for hire. I'm not using you. It is not characterized by utility or circumstance, but by choice. Verse 16, Jesus chose them. He wanted them. He pursued them. Biblical friendship is not just relational. It's also intentional. And it is not characterized by the pursuit of pleasure, but Jesus' good plan and purpose. Verse 16b, Jesus chooses them and appoints them to carry on his mission to bear fruit. And Jesus didn't withhold from them. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because, and whatever comes after, is how Jesus further defines friendship. All that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus lets them in 
fully, fully known, fully loved. And did you hear the covenant language in there? I love you. I call you friend. I tell you everything. I know you better than you know you. And I chose you. Trinity, this is the definition of biblical friendship. It is vulnerable. It is intimate. It is special. And it is vital. In it we find blessing and health and joy and love and growth. Biblical friendship eradicates loneliness by seeking and pursuing the lost. It loves without limits. It gives grace upon grace. It is confident in diversity because we are unified by the cross. It forgives because we were first forgiven. It does not hold back. It does not hold off. And it does not hold down. It calls out sin and truth and love because to do otherwise is actually unloving. It spurs one another on to good works. It builds up one another in Jesus. Biblical friendship is not superficial. It is not transactional. It is relational and sacrificial. A little while ago, I preached a message in which I told you about a trip that I took to Lebanon and Syria. And the point of the trip was to... to speak over there, and then witness to the Syrian refugees. Now, that's why I was there, but I don't, ever think, I don't ever think I told you how I got there. I had exactly zero dollars to spend on flights to Lebanon and hotels and dinners. So, <laughs> I received this invitation at night. The next day, the next morning at 11 a.m., I reached out to five friends via email. At 11.08, I still have the emails. At 11.08, I had the entire trip funded. All of it. Every dime. All I did was ask them to pray if God would move them to contribute to this. And not only are my friends generous beyond belief, but clearly they're fast prayers because in under 10 minutes, the whole thing was funded. But even more than that, one of my friends who has a wife, two young daughters, his wife is the CEO of a major multinational company. Not only did he buy my plane ticket, he bought a second one for himself so that he could come with me so I wouldn't be alone. I didn't even invite him. (laughs) But I am deeply thankful that he came with me. Another friend, when he found out that the trip was fully funded, gave me money just to spend. Now, why? There wasn't even a financial gain because not a dollar of it went through the church, so it's not like it was even tax deductible. Yes, for reasons unknown to me, they love me. And they love the work that God is doing in me and through me. And I am forever grateful for that. And I love them deeply. And I love the work that God is doing in them and through them. But first and foremost, it's because they love Jesus. And they're committed to his mission and his purpose. And our relationship is a covenant with Jesus at the epicenter of it. If you've been given even one friendship like this, You've been given a gift from God himself. But if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then indeed you've been given the gift of God himself. For all of the qualities of true biblical friendship are found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if I'm being honest this morning, one of the great dangers I see in the church in the West is that we fall in love with trendy pastors. 
We fall in love with worship music. We fall in love with charismatic speakers and books, but we've forgotten to fall in love with Jesus himself. If I were to meet with Jesus after church today, and I were to ask him, how is his relationship with you, what would he say? Would he say, oh, him or her? I, it's funny you mention that. I haven't heard from them in a while. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins, Scripture says that the veil in the temple that separated man from God was torn in two from top to bottom as if it was God himself reaching down from heaven and tearing it. Because salvation is not just a change of our status before God from wrong to right. It is the mending of a relationship. And one of the worst things that we can do is to believe in Jesus but not befriend him. He is the type of friend we want and need and the type of friend we want and need to be. Earlier in the week, it was right around, I hate my sermon on Tuesday, I think it was, I sent out an email to the elders and a few others and I asked them for one word, don't think about it, one word that comes to mind when you think of a best friend and here are the responses. Honest, caring, sacrificial, delights in you, selfless, joyful, loyal, available. I was sitting in my office Friday night typing these words that I'm speaking right now and my eyes were literally welling up with tears realizing that there is so much freedom in the true friendship with Jesus because he is all of those things and more. If you do not see this, you are working for Jesus. You're back to being a servant. And he is your boss. You've forsaken relationship for religion. And that is not what Jesus wants because that is not who Jesus is. There is no one more loyal for Jesus will never leave you and he will never forsake you. There is no one more honest as Jesus is without deceit, which means he will always tell you the truth, including convicting you of your sin as Lord and as your Savior, giving you the strength to live out that repentant life without guilt and shame. There is no one more trustworthy. He always keeps his promise. He never breaks his promise. He will never let you down, but he will always let you in. There is no one more available. There is not a corner in this universe that you could go to that you will not find Jesus there waiting when you get there. There is no one more sacrificial, selfless, or caring as his arms were literally nailed wide open on the cross as he died for you and died for me, and he did so knowing every single sin you have committed and will commit. There is no greater love than the love of Jesus Christ, verse 13, for greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In Jesus Christ, you are fully known and you are fully loved. And before you ever chose him, he chose you, not because you're worthy, but because he is. And not because you're perfect, but because he is. Jesus created the universe. He can have anything he wants. And he wants you. As you sit here today, do you recognize, receive, and relish the friendship that Jesus Christ died to offer you. In him you are fully known. And in him you are fully loved. He loved you first. 
and he loves you most. Trinity, it's my prayer that we make Jesus the friend our desperate heart needs. And when we do that, he will make us the type of friend this desperate world needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your, your word has gone out. These are the words of your Son who tells us that as you've existed before time began in friendship and in fellowship, in honesty, in transparency, in joy, that that all spilled over into creation and that the origin of friendship, the very meaning and purpose of friendship flows not from what we want, not from how we would define it, but Father, who you are, your very nature as a relational God who, when you saw that the relationship was broken by sin, you did not sit back idle. You could have created an entire other world and started over again. But through your son, you stepped into this world. You stepped into the pain. You stepped into the suffering. You stepped into the loneliness. And Jesus, you are the ultimate friend. Jesus, you are the friend of sinners. You are a friend to all who call on your name. Father, would we not forsake that for a cheap counterfeit version of friendship as this culture would have define it or as this culture would have determine it. Father, there are those amongst us that are, are seeking these types of biblical friendships. Would we be a people that seek them out for their good, for our good, for our sanctification, for your glory. Father, the most humbling part of this to me is that you no longer call us servants, but you call us friends. Jesus, would it be today that we would recognize that, receive that, and live in it for our community, our families, our culture desperately needs that type of friendship, fully known, fully loved. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.